Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Abraham's biography takes up a good portion of the book of Genesis. When we first meet him, he's already 75 years old. God makes three promises to Abraham. The promise of a land of his own, the promise to be made into a great nation, and the promise of blessing. These promises form the basis for what will later be called the Abrahamic Covenant. Abraham and his wife Sarah plan to see this prophecy come true, whether by God's hand or their own. Having had difficulty conceiving children together, Abraham and Sarah decided to create a legacy for their family through a servant girl named Hagar. At age 86, Abraham sees Hagar give birth to a son named Ishmael. And at age 99, he witnesses the God-initiated miracle of Sarah giving birth to a second son named Isaac. It is only Isaac who shares in the full promise of the Abrahamic covenant. As a test of his faith in the one true God, Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. But at the last moment, God spares him. And so Abraham is able to fulfill the meaning of his name, a father of many nations. This weekend, we start our nine-week summer series entitled Living in God's Story. And over the course of the next nine weeks, we're going to look at nine individual characters all throughout the Bible. And as we go through these nine weeks, you're going to discover some things about these Bible characters. What you're going to discover is they are just ordinary people with flaws and gifts and strengths as well. You're going to discover that God was accomplishing his plan, his purpose through the, for the world through these Bible characters. And what you'll discover as well is that God was inviting each of these characters into relationship with him, and then he was giving them some assignments to carry out in this world. We're going to look at nine different Bible characters, and when you look at the Bible as a whole, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and the Bible is God's written story for us, when you look at the Bible as a whole, you see two central themes in the Bible. The first is God inviting people into relationship with himself, which is covenant relationship. That's the biblical term, covenant relationship. And then God challenges people to represent him in this world as his kingdom agents, and that's called kingdom responsibility. These are the two central themes that run all throughout Scripture and all throughout the lives of these Bible characters that we'll look at. Relationship with God and then Kingdom assignments, representing him in the world. These are the two common threads. God is always, always, always entering into relationship with individuals and families and nations. And then he challenges these folks to, to live out his purpose, his character, his plan. They live in God's story to accomplish what he wants to see happen in this world. Here's the truth. What we see God doing in Scripture, He still does today. He hasn't changed. His strategy has not changed. And He's inviting you into a deeper relationship with Himself. And He's asking you to do some things in this world. Do some things with your life as you live in God's story. Your name and my name will never appear in the Bible. 
but it's possible for our lives to be a part of God's story, his plan, his unfolding story, his unfolding narrative in this world. So we're going to take a look at Abraham's life this morning. And specifically, we're going to touch down on three points. We can't cover his whole life story, but three encounters that Abraham had with God that reveal to you and I what living in God's story means for us. So before we get into the rest of the sermon, would you stand with me and let's pray, let's dedicate our time to God and ask him to speak to us. God, we're here this morning because we want to meet with you. We want to hear you speak to us. We want you to aliven in us, in our spirit. And so as we look at your story and how you interacted with Abraham, as we read scripture verses from the Bible, may verses or phrases or a word jump off the page and find its way into our hearts and our lives this morning. Speak to us because we're listening. We're open for what you want to say to us about who you are, about who we are, and about how you want us to live our lives as a part of your story. So speak because we're listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can please, please have a seat. <clears throat> you don't have to turn very far to find your way into Abraham's story. It's Genesis. So just open up your Bible to the front part and it's right there. There's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. We, we enter into Abraham's story 11 and a half chapters into the Bible into the book of Genesis. The last 39 chapters of Genesis give an account of Abraham's story, his son Isaac's story, his grandson Jacob's story, and then his 12 great-grandsons, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the book of Genesis, the whole thing. There's 14 chapters that are dedicated specifically to Abraham's life. And when you're reading your Bible, and you see there's multiple chapters like this all about one individual. Read those. These individuals are important. They stand out over and above others in Scripture. So 14 chapters dedicated to Abraham's life story. And we're going to just jump in in chapter 12 right here. So open up your Bibles if you have them. Genesis chapter 12. And we're just going to be flipping fast forward to chapter 15, 17, and then 22 through the sermon. So... In chapter 12, Abram, his name hasn't changed yet, so his name's Abram, was living in an area called Haran, which is in what is modern-day Turkey right now. He lived there with his dad, his brothers, his extended family, and all of a sudden God speaks to Abram and speaks this outrageous, outlandish pro uh, promise into Abram's life. But God tells him, this promise will not be fulfilled in Haran. You've got to travel to a new land. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is what God says to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What an outrageous promise. So Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had told him. 
and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Abram set out from this land, from his dad, from extended family, and left. He had no idea where God was leading him to, but he went anyway. He packed up his, his, a few of his extended family, his own family, his stuff, and then they left. And they traveled to Canaan, which is what is in modern-day Israel right now. So they're traveling on foot or on animal or cart or however from, from Turkey to Israel. Abram's already an older, older man. There's no prior mention of Abram in the Bible up to this point. There's nothing about Abram that indicates that he deserved this kind of merit or favor from God. And there's nothing that tells us in Scripture that Abram even knew anything about God prior to this point. It's just all all of a sudden, out of the blue, God speaks this amazing promise into Abram's life. And God enters into Abram's life. He gets involved in his life. He brings Abram into his story. And then flip a few more pages over in your Bible to chapter 15. Abram has a profound encounter with God here in chapter 15 that reveals to us what living in God's story means, what it looks like. And it's this. First of all, living in God's story requires a relationship with God. Now, as I say this to you, you might, this might sound overly simplistic to you. But here's the thing. A relationship with God is truly, when you think about it, a profound mystery. A profound, deep mystery. And Abram right now is about 80 years old. 75 years old when he left Haran. In chapter 15, he's in his mid-80s now, and it's been 10 years since God spoke this promise into Abram's life that, that God entered into a relationship with Abram. And now in verse 15, God speaks these words to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, meaning I'm going to protect you. Your very great reward. What God's saying is, I'm going to provide for you. And then Abram responds to God in the following verses, and I'll paraphrase here a little bit. Abraham says, I don't have children. Where's this promise that you spoke into my life 10 years ago? I've been waiting 10 years for this. How will this promise be fulfilled? What are you up to here, God? You know I can't have children. Where's this destiny, this, these descendants, these, this future that you spoke into my life? Where is it? And then in verse 5, he, God, took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky, he said to him. And if you don't think maybe God doesn't have a sense of humor here, God says, and count the stars if you can count them. I mean, count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then this amazing verse here, Abram believed the Lord. Would you have believed God if God said this to you? Abram believed the Lord. And God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What's amazing here is Abram believed God even when all of the external circumstances in his life, everything around him contradicted the promises that God was speaking into his life. But Abram believed God anyway. He had faith and trusted in him anyway. And God recognized and affirmed Abram's belief thereby making Abram a righteous man, meaning he's in right relationship, right standing with God. He can be in a relationship with God. 
And this comes about all as a gracious gift because Abram's done nothing to deserve this. But God enters into relationship with him. And like most of us, most of us are like Abram and we, we want some sort of evidence for this relationship that we have with God. Abram wanted some external evidence of this spiritual reality that he had a relationship with the God of the universe, the God. And in the Bible, relationships or covenants, as they're called, are always sealed with the shedding of blood. And so verse 9 here in chapter 15 and following describes a sort of ceremony that takes place between God and Abram. And God says to Abram, Abram, bring me five animals, a, a, a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. And what I want you to do, God says to him, is sacrifice these animals and, and spread about the two halves of each of these animals, spread them apart from each other, cut them in half, and line them up so that there's a pathway between the the. The, the halves of the animals. And then God makes Abraham or Abram fall into a deep sleep and God shows up to him, comes to him in a vision. And Abram sees God, the Spirit of God, passing through the two halves of these animals. And what's significant about this ceremony is that this ceremony shows and is evidence that God is sealing this covenant relationship that he's establishing with Abram. God's doing this, and it's all one-sided. God's made promises to Abraham. God's sealed and entered into this relationship with Abram, and Abram's done nothing except believe and have faith in God. And the covenant relationship that God's making with Abram now is based solely, the foundation, the strength of this relationship is based on God's spoken promises to Abram. You see, a covenant relationship that many of us are familiar with is marriage. It's marriage. Marriage is a man and a woman entering into covenant relationships, speaking promises to one another. And the foundation, the strength of the marriage relationship comes with the promises, comes from the promises, the vows that are spoken to each other. And it's on the basis of these promises that a man and a woman enter into this covenant relationship And so what's the external evidence of this relationship? The external evidence, the external external signs for this covenant relationship is the ceremony, the marriage ceremony. And the exchanging of rings that one person gives to the other, right? Symbolizing is these promises that are spoken. And then it's the promises themselves that are spoken. That's the external sign of this covenant relationship of marriage. Marriages thrive when promises are kept. Marriages thrive when both parties mutually work for the health and the benefit of the marriage. My wife and I just celebrated our 13th anniversary last week, and we had a tiny little ceremony in our living room. And we we do this almost every year, and so we, we had a little ceremony. Micah was the photographer, and he took really good pictures, and he was much less expensive than our original photographer 13 years ago. And uh, Olivia, our little daughter, she was the flower girl. She loves doing that. She looked so beautiful. And Josiah was the pastor this time, and he read scripture very well. And so we're gathered around there in our living room, and, and then my wife and I read and spoke their vows, our promises that we spoke to each other 13 years ago. We spoke them to each other and reminded each other 
of the foundation, the basis of the covenant relationship that we are in with each other. You see, you don't need to clap for that. But thank you. But here's the thing about our relationship with God. He is the one that always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. And doesn't it seem like we're the ones that continually break the promises that we make towards God? And Abram and Sarai could never have imagined that years into the future, God himself would establish a final covenant, agreement with humankind that God would send his son Jesus Right to enter into this world, to leave heaven, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to shed his own blood, to give up his own life so that we could have a relationship with God. We enter into a relationship with God based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it possible for us. Jesus stands in the gap for all of our broken promises. He stands in the gap for us that, so that we can be made in right standing with God. And what's the external evidence of the relationship that we have with God? Now, what's the external sign? One of the signs is the cup and the piece of bread that we celebrate that we eat together, the communion meal that we eat together often as a church. That's the sign of this relationship. And right there on the wall, the cross. The cross is an external sign, external evidence of the covenant relationship that we have with God now. You see, living in God's story requires that you have a relationship with God. Romans 3, 22 and 20 to 24 say it this way. This righteousness, this right standing with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Abraham believed God. God's still saying, believe in Jesus and you'll be in relationship with me. To all who believe, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption, big word. You know when you drink a can of pop or drinks a little pop bottle and on the back somewhere it says redeemable, right? For five cents or 10 cents or whatever it might be. Someone wants to throw out that bottle and you say, I'm gonna redeem that. I'm gonna give you a nickel for that little bottle. Jesus says, I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna buy you back. It's gonna cost me my life, but that's what I'm gonna do so that you can have a relationship with God. Friends, a relationship with God is a profound mystery that really should leave us in awe and amazement all the time. That God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you and he'll bless you and he'll forgive you and he'll affirm you and he'll encourage you. He'll reward you He'll give you insight into who he is as you read his word. His spirit lives in you and equips you to carry out his plan, his purpose in this world. God's spirit will pray on your behalf even when you don't know how to pray about something. Don't we feel that way? Sometimes we don't know how to pray. God's spirit prays for us on our behalf. That's what being in a relationship is all about. His spirit lives in you to serve others and bless others and tell others about the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. 
And at times God's spirit will manifest himself in you and you'll pray for someone and God will do a miracle. He'll heal someone. He'll do something extraordinary because you are in covenant relationship with God made possible because of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 30 verse 20 says, the Lord is your life. There's no life apart from God. The Lord is your life. Acts 17, 28, one of my favorite verses, such a mystery says, for in him, in God, we live and we move and we have our being. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we enter into his story, his plan. We enter into his life. And everything at that point changes. Everything changes. See, we should never feel like having a relationship with God is normal or ordinary. Because friends, having a relationship with God is actually supernatural. It's supernatural. And we get to, we get to experience this. Living in God's story requires that you have a relationship with God. Second, Abraham's, or Abram's life reveals that living in God's story requires that we receive our identity from him. Abraham, when he left Haran, he was 75 years old, like I've mentioned. When God entered into this covenant relationship, sealed this covenant relationship with Abram, Abram was about 85 years old, in his mid-80s, somewhere in there. And now flip forward in your Bible to chapter 17. Abram is 99 years old now. It's been 25 years since God spoke this promise of, of a, a future into Abram's life. Chapter 17, verse 1, God says this to Abram. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you, into, to, I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abraham, Abram, his name was changed. Let's go to verse 16. What about Sarai? God also says, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Amazing here. God had already entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham and now God gives Abram and Sarai a new name and in doing so, God changes their identity. He changes who they really are as human beings. And when God renamed Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah, God did something extraordinary. This is the way that Jewish scholars explain what's taking place here. God's name is Yahweh. 
And what Jewish scholars say that God is doing here, he's actually taking a letter from his name, an H from his name, and placing it into Abram's name to be Abraham. And he does the same thing for Sarai and takes an H from his name and places it into Sarah's name, and she becomes Sarah. Abraham means father of many nations. Sarah means princess. And so now all of her children will carry the mark of the king. And in essence, what God is doing here is he's giving Abraham and he's giving Sarah part of his own self, part of his identity that he's planting into their lives and he's making them brand new people for a brand new future. And this is remarkable because Abraham and Sarah didn't do anything to deserve this. God did this freely of his own accord and all they had to do was receive this new identity. And they believed that they were who God says that they were. And they lived that way. Discovering our identity is one of the great struggles that we have as human beings. And it's a struggle because we have a tendency to believe lies about who we are. We have a tendency to believe lies about that other people say about us. And we struggle with this. I mean, haven't you struggled with answering the question, who are you? Who are you really? I was speaking with a mentor of mine about eight months ago and we were having a conversation about identity. And I said, Randy, I said, Randy, are we always going to be having these struggles around our identity? And he said, Kent, I'm in my mid-50s and, and you know what? God's calling me deeper and deeper and deeper into my identity of who he says I am, not who other people around me say that I am. It's a struggle. At times, we're tempted to believe that we ought to be perfect. Perfect. And so our identity then is tied to our performance. At times, people say, you know what? You ought to live your life so that people like you and people approve of you. And then our identity gets tied to being people pleasers. Sometimes people will say to us, well, you ought to be in control of your life and yourself. And our identity gets tied then to power and how we exercise it over things and people to control our environment around us. Sometimes people say, you know what, you ought to be beautiful. And so our identity gets tied to our appearance. These are all false forms of our identity. Many of you know I grew up in Cameroon, West Africa. And as a family, we would spend three or four years in Cameroon and then come back to Canada. Three or four years in Cameroon, come back to the States, and that's the way that I grew up. And, and from the time I was in grade seven to for the next seven years, um, as a family, we moved to a different country. So I moved to a different country, different school, every single year for the next seven years. And I'm so grateful for all that I experienced growing up. But here's the thing. I had a hard time figuring out who I was. Because when I would be in Cameroon, I would be Cameroonian. I mean, I, I felt I was African to the core. Africa was home. Cameroon was home. But yet the color of my skin made me appear as an outsider. I didn't fit in. When I came back to Canada, the color of my skin just, you know what, had no barriers to me fitting in. But yet on the inside, boy, that, this wasn't home. I was conflicted on the inside. And then I was born in the States, which complexifies things. So am I American? Am I Cameroonian? Am I Canadian? I mean, who am I? And you know what I discovered? I, sco I discovered 
that the one who created me and the one who I truly belong to reserves the right and the authority to define who I am. And that's God. That's God. And here's what I want you to know this morning. The one who created you, who made you, who knew you before you were even an idea in your mom and dad's mind, the one who created you, and the one who you ultimately belong to, your Father in heaven, he's the one that has the right, the ultimate authority to define who are you, to speak into you your identity. Not necessarily your parents, not your teachers, not your friends, not anybody around you. He says who you are. He says who you are. So let's live that way. Let's live that way, church. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says it this way. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, that's in Jesus' name, who, those who believe in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God but born of God. A child carries the characteristics of their father and mother, and when you enter into a relationship with God, into a covenant relationship through Jesus Christ, Jesus shares his identity with you. Jesus is God's son. When you believe in him, you become a child of God, a daughter of the king. This is who you are, and receiving our identity from him changes everything. Because we begin to define ourselves in light of who he says we are and not anybody else around us. To live in God's story fully requires that you receive your identity from him and who, who he says you are. Last, Abraham's life with God reveals, reveals this, that living in God's story requires submission to God demonstrated by radical obedience. This is a tough one, folks. You see, after waiting for 25 years for God to give Abraham and Sarah a son through whom all these promises that God spoke into their life would be fulfilled, at 100 years old, God gives Abraham and, and uh, Sarah Isaac, and they have a son. Sometime later, we're in Genesis chapter 22 now, if you want to follow along. Sometime later, could be maybe 11, 12, or 13 years after Isaac was born, God says this to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Many of you know this story. We don't know why God lays claim to Isaac's life. We don't know why God reverses his demand for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but we do know that God did this in order to test Abraham. God did this to find out if Abraham would obey him. God did this to find out if Abraham would live his life in submission to God, holding nothing back, living his life in radical obedience to God. 
Abraham and Sarah had waited for 25 years to a solution for them not being able to have children. He'd waited 25 years for a way that God's promises would be fulfilled and carried out through his life. And now it seemed like God was revoking all of those promises and ending everything. Many of you know the eventual outcome of this story. Abraham took Isaac and they walked. They climbed this mountain, and just as Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son, God stopped him. In verse 12, God says, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Church, I have to ask you a question here. Are you withholding anything from God? Are you withholding anything that God's asked you to do? Are you not obeying God even though he's asked you to do something? Abraham's covenant partner, God, had tested the strength of their relationship. And in this testing, their relationship with one another, Abraham's relationship with God had proved unshakable, unbreakable. Abraham's trust and belief in God was so profound that he held nothing back. And now what God will do is he will hold nothing back from all of these promises. The destiny that God spoke into Abraham's life will be fulfilled now because Abraham responded in submission and obedience. Look in verse 16 of chapter 22. God says, I swear by myself. I've never read God say that anywhere else in scripture. Maybe he has and I haven't. But I swear by myself, God says, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All because you've obeyed me. Friends, what if we lived our lives in radical obedience to God? Unreserved submission to him. What might God do as you live in his story? I'm assuming many of you live this way. But maybe some of you are not. What would this look like? Is God inviting you to submit to him in a greater way in one area of your life? Perhaps, perhaps your lack of obedience is limiting what God wants to do in you and through you. Here's the thing. And it's amazing that Abraham could act in this way, in obedience to God with this magnitude. But here's why. If you're asking why does Abraham act this way in obedience, here's why. Abraham knew, he knew, he knew, he knew to the core of his being what God was like. He knew what God was like. For 37 or 38 years up to this point here, he had lived in faith and belief and relationship with God. He knew what God was like. If you read Abraham's story, he wasn't perfect by any means, neither was Sarah. But they maintained an unshakable belief and faith and trust in God. They knew who they were because God had changed their name, had changed their identity. And so out of this, they could live in radical obedience to whatever God had asked them to do. How has God been speaking to you this morning? 
through Abraham's story through his word. I want to close with this story. It's a story that Jean Allen tells about her grandparents. Her grandparents had been married for more than 50 years. And through all of those years, Jean observed her grandparents playing this little game. And the game went like this. Grandma would write the word, shmiley. It's a weird word, but it's a a word. It's shmiley. S-H-M-I-L-Y. She would write, Grandma would write shmiley in the sugar container. Grandpa would come and find it, and then it was his turn to write shmiley someplace around the house for Grandma to find it now. So Grandma maybe would go write shmiley in the flower, and then Grandpa would find it, and they played this game all throughout their life, all throughout their marriage. And so they would write, you know, shmiley on the dew on the window, Right, and then it would kind of show up there. Or they'd write Shmiley on the on the mirror in the bathroom, and when it'd be all hot, then you would see Shmiley written there. And one time, Grandma unrolled the whole roll of toilet paper and wrote Shmiley on the last piece of the toilet paper roll, and then rolled it all back up, right, for Grandpa to find it. And this is the game that they played throughout their life. There would be no end to where this word would pop up. It'd pop up in a sticky note on the dashboard, in a shoe, underneath the pillow, be written in the dust somewhere in the house. And it was one of those mysteries that Jean observed in her grandparents' marriage about their life. And and she never knew what this word meant. See, and at times, Grandma would pull Jean over and just tell her how cute she thought her, her grandpa was. And And they shared this love and this deep relationship, this covenant relationship with each other. Her grandpa and grandma finished their sentences for each other, shared crossword puzzles with each other. But it couldn't last forever, right? Cancer came, grandma died. And at the graveside, Jean observed her grandpa just standing there, just weeping, because he'd lost the woman that he loved. And Jean was so privileged to observe their love and their relationship and how deep and profound it was for one another. And at that graveside service, the word shmiley was written in yellow on a pink ribbon that was on the bouquet of flowers for grandma in her passing away. And it wouldn't be till a little while later that Jean would know what this word meant. Shmiley was an acronym, an acronym that grandma and grandpa had used for over 50 years, and it stood for, see how much I love you. See how much I love you. You know what, church? We have a God who loves us so much, who wants to enter into a relationship with us, who shares his identity with us, who calls us to live in obedience to him, And you know this mountain that God showed Abraham and said, sacrifice your son on this mountain. This mountain was called Mount Moriah in the region of Moriah. It's the mountain that God spared Abraham's only son, Isaac. It's the same mountain, the same area that David built the city of Jerusalem. It's the same area where Solomon built the temple where God's presence was. And this is the same mountain that one day a young man climbed carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. 
And it's on this mountain that God didn't spare his son so that you and I could enter into a life with God so that we could live in his story. God held nothing back from us. Absolutely nothing. And he invites us to live in his story. And the external symbol for how God loves us is a cross. A cross could be seen as God's smiley to you and I. See how much I love you. Friends, this is the life that God's inviting us to live, to live in his story. Would you pray with me now? I've been praying that God would speak to you and specifically that he would speak to you about your relationship with him. And maybe you haven't paid attention to this relationship in a long time. And maybe there's some things that your heart, your gut is just calling you to do to make this relationship with God something that it was in the past, something strong, something experiential, something vibrant. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your savior. You haven't entered into a relationship with God. Well, our prayer partners or myself would love to talk with you about that. Maybe God's been speaking to you about your identity and he's brought to your mind some things, some lies that you are believing and it's not true. God might be saying to you, don't believe that anymore. This is who you are. Spend a few moments praying and talking with God about that. Believe in who he says you are. Maybe there's some things that you have not been doing that you know God's been leading you to do. You haven't been living your life in submission to him and obedience to him. Maybe this morning you just need to decide again and pray and say, God, help me. I want to obey you. If God's saying something to you by his spirit, linger in this room as others leave and spend a few moments in prayer. Don't leave here without doing some things, paying attention, talking with God about some things that he's bringing to your mind. Now as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May God be so gracious and merciful to you. And may you know the peace that comes from being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.